Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up, y'all? Thanks for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. This is part of the Kajukenbo series, and I'm going to be interviewing Eric Coleman, and you'll check that out when I reintroduce this video in the interview in a sec. If you want to support the show, simply subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening to this from iTunes or any other website, just go to YouTube, Social Jello with Angelo, hit subscribe. I'm trying to reach a thousand subscribers right now, and that would be greatly appreciated. All right, stay tuned for the show. Awesome. We're getting started with the show. So uh, today I have uh, Eric Coleman. He's a Kaju Kimbo practitioner. And this is part of the Kaju Kimbo series. Eric, thanks for being on the show, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, no, no problem at all. No problem at all. Um, I guess just to open things up, and I always say this at the beginning of the, all the Kaju Kimbo series, <laughs> I always say, uh, I don't care about rank. <laughs> I don't care about right. rank. I don't care about I don't care much for titles. Uh mm-hmm. anybody who's trained with me out here in Japan, the only people who call me Sifu are the are the American folks that train with us cuz they follow that that system. Um mm-hmm. and I, and back in the US they call me Sifu. Over here they just call me Sensei. I don't I'm not big on this stuff. But I always do ask cuz we do have a lot of Kaju Kimbo practitioners listening who do care, and there's nothing against that. So I guess uh, just to get started, uh, what's uh, what's your title and, and rank in Kajukenbo? I am a sixth degree, and I guess that's Seagull. Nice. Um, it's interesting that you started out that way because we just had a um, a meeting with the KAA and some of the higher up black belts, and one of the um, our great grandmaster uh, Chavez saying to us that we need to all start using titles because I'm like you, I'm the, I don't really care too much for, I, you know, it's, it almost feels a bit silly to me, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's something to be said about tradition and, and respect. Um, so yeah, I'm still on the fence about it, but I get you. Yeah. So you see gun, see gun. And you know, just to clarify, because I know some people might not like. There's two camps right now. There's, there's a camp, there's the old school camp from Hawaii that feel that the mainland is what brought in a lot of the titles, and then oh. and then there's a story that I don't know. If, you know, you know how it is with with martial arts. Everything's like verbal history, right? Oral history, handed down oral history, and you know how things get with oral histories, like. It's really hard to figure out what what the original story was. And uh, I was told that back in the day, and I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for this, (laughs) but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) I was told that back in the day, uh, the titles were minimal. Like like there was Chief. Chief and i think that was it i think it was like chief and grandmaster maybe i don't think they had i don't even think there was grandmaster i think it was like chief and professor that was it yeah yeah that was it It was chief and professor there was no grandmaster and that Mm -hmm. that other stuff kind of came in when uh kaju kembo integrated a little more with the uh, ed parker kempo people and like that's where a lot Mm -hmm. of that stuff came from i I don't know i'm young and i wasn't there so i don't know i mean you know, we all we're all kind of cousins in this, and I've heard similar stories even recently. And like I said, it when you talk to someone traditionally that um, like the Chinese usage of the usage of the term seafood and cigar and all these other things, I heard, and I could get in trouble, but who cares? <laughs> I heard that. We were using them incorrectly anyway. So, for example, your students call you Sifu, which means teaching father. And then Sigong means uh, your teacher's teacher, right? So my students, if we were using it correctly, 
my students would always call me Sifu, and my student students would then call me Sigur. So it's you know what I'm saying? It's like your father can never be your grandfather, right? So yeah. I don't know. I just it's it's convoluted. No, it is. All. It's, it's, it is. What what made me feel the most amount of shame <laughs> in this conversation, and I, I think it's kind of cool to open the podcast with this conversation. I wasn't planning on it, but here we go. Um, was when I met, when I traveled uh, to Japan, and I started meeting actual Chinese people who practice Kung Fu that, speaks, right. that speak English. And I said, well, you know, I do martial arts. And like, oh, so like, what's your title? It's like Sifu, and they laughed at me. Because <laughs> you said it wrong. <laughs> no, you... no, not even because uh. I said it wrong. They knew what I was saying, and they spoke English. And uh. and I I said okay, why? And we we were friends. I'm friends with this guy, right? And I'm like, why? Uh. Why are you laughing? He's like, he's just. I'm sorry. He's like, I'm sorry. I just. There's just no way you could be a Sifu in in China. It's just not. <laughs> it's not possible because <laughs> like, yeah. like according to their very traditional the way they practice like some kung fu or many of the kung fu schools out there is sifu is the like head person there can only be uh, one sifu and i don't know if that's it for all the styles but for many of the styles there can only be one sifu and everybody else has some other name that he explained to me but right but like right yeah, so he he found it funny that I'm a Sifu. He's like, and all the Sifus are like really old people. And then there'll be, some schools will have like a Sifu and then maybe a master. Maybe, maybe. But like yeah. in Chinese terms, like he, he found it. He found it. He, he said it was cute in his words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I mean, Did this motherfucker just call me cute? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. It's like we, we take these these terms and this culture and then kind of use it for our own devices, so to speak. And, and it's like, okay, are you really, are you really using the culture? I mean, it's weird. It's like, are you, are you, are you just like taking somebody's culture and, and kind of bastardizing it and, and watering it down and all this other stuff. So yeah, that, I take all of that with a grain of salt. Yeah. That, that, that's how I'm, that's how I am too. And that's like, I've never really explained why I'm so reluctant to ask the question. Like I always say I'm reluctant and I, I go on this whole like political, uh, what's like a uh, tightrope verbal judo yeah. to try to make sure that I don't offend each camp. But I never really talked about why, yeah. why I felt that way. <laughs> After that, I just told all my, all my students over here who asked me the same question in Japanese. I'm like, you just call me, we're in Japan. Call me sensei. That's cool. All right. Yeah, I don't really care. I'm like, if I offend you, I'm sorry. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. We're all adults here. <laughs> so, um, how uh, did you end up getting into Kaju Kembo? Wow. What, what was your origin story, if you will? <laughs> My origin story. So, um, as you know, I studied under Rana Steller. Um, so when I was a kid, I have three brothers. I am the the third of four, um, and my mom used to send us to um, the boys' club in San Leandro. And this was I started in second grade in Taekwondo. Um, my mom put us into this Taekwondo class in the boys' club, and the teacher ended up being kind of this kind of a jerk of a guy and ran off with some money and <clears throat> left us there stranded. I don't even remember much of the Taekwondo, but that was the start of it. And then a couple of years down the line, um, they had a jujitsu class at the boys club. And we did that for a couple of months. And that guy ended up leaving and kind of left us high and dry. And then along comes uh, Ron Steller and we start. I started with Ron when I was about ten years old, um, and it stuck. I've been riding with him ever since. I'm forty-five now, so thirty-five years. Wow, nice, nice. And that's in. Uh, I think I mentioned this to for, before to my listeners, and I interviewed 
um, Ron earlier, but uh, that's in Calif. That was originally in California, right? Correct, California. All right, cool, cool, cool. And I guess you kind of came in doing a little bit of taekwondo, a little bit of jujitsu, and then you were ten. There was absolutely no, like there was nothing there left from the the taekwondo or the jujitsu. It's like, like starting over again then. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty much a clean slate, and I actually I'd stopped with Ron for about three years. I want to say because my mom got tired of taking us, um, so I <laughs> went all throughout junior high, and then I stopped in high school. And then when I was able to drive myself, I went. That was like one of the first things I did was go back to uh, to Kajimbo. Um, and that was almost like starting. I think I stopped when I was like a yellow belt, I believe, and then came back and was steady for the next, you know, 10, 15 years or so. Okay. And what, what brought you back? What, what got you into martial arts training in the first place? I mean, obviously like you start at two, so I'm guessing that. No, second grade, not two. Second, oh, okay. Second grade. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was like, someone really wanted you to start young. Even yeah. even second grade though, like, was it something that you were interested in, or was someone else influencing you, or what? What made you want to train? Um, honestly, it was karate movies. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know, in, in the eighties, we were heavily into heavily heavily into the old school karate dubbed movies, and and my brother my oldest brother was seriously into him. my uh and you know i wanted to be like one of my, i wanted to be like my brother basically um but yeah we were we were really into the karate movies and my mom was the one that kind of put us into it like i didn't really know exactly like what it was or you know it was just something to do um but yeah and then when i went back <laughs> after when I was able to drive myself, it was kind of a nostalgia thing. It was like when when we use the word Ohana in Kajikimbo, it really, like we were all like, there was a bunch of kids, we were all kind of the same age, and we all hung out together. And it was, you know, it was, it was something fun. It was something that, you know, we had this camaraderie and, and I missed that and, and I enjoyed it and you know, I'd always I'd always liked it. I just you know, it was just one of those things. I don't know. I can't really even explain the draw that well. It's just it was just something that I wanted to do and said, Okay, as soon as I go as soon as I am able to take myself I'm going back. And what were uh no matter how cheesy this may be, how, what were some of those karate movies that really oh you man. feel like you saw it and you're like that's i want to do that like of course your brother was you want to be like your brother but i'm sure your brother showed you a movie or two that you were like that ah, i want to be like like that or that that's uh, that's the one that's really influencing me i don't even remember all the names but some of the you know the popular ones were uh five deadly venoms uh i think there was one big axe little axe and drunken masters and and there was i mean it was all of them. Like when I grew up in the Bay Area, there was um, a guy named Tat Mao Wong, <laughs> and he was a kung fu guy out of San Francisco, and he used to have his own like kung fu theater, late night Saturday nights to show kung fu movies, and you know it was it was we would stay up late on Saturday nights and watch them, and it was that's just what we did. And I had cousins, <laughs> it's funny because I had cousins that never took a lick of martial arts, one of my cousins in particular, and swore up and down. He was like, <laughs> he was like a karate master for <laughs> watching <laughs> uh, those karate movies. It was, we laugh about that to this day. Oh my gosh. He swore, you, you, could, you could not tell him he wasn't a ninja. Like you could tell <laughs> yeah, those, those are. I mean, I, I watched a lot of those movies too, so that's why I'm asking. Like, some of my, right. some of my favorites were like, yeah, Drunken Master. Um, 
there was uh what was that one with Jet Li back in the day? It was it called Shaolin? The stories, mm. the stories of uh, ah, I forgot the name of the of the main character, but yeah, those are good. Those are classics. Those are classics. <laughs> yeah, there was one that I can't remember the name of it, but the two characters were big acts and little acts, and I used to love that movie. Used to <laughs> love that movie. Yes. Yeah, those are all part of those old school series. Wong Fei Hung. That was the that was the story mm. that he always thought it was Wong Fei Hung. Yeah, yeah. So. You got influenced by uh, by those old school karate movies and kung fu movies. Um, started training, took a break, on and off. You finally came back because, like as you mentioned, it's uh, it was that feeling of ohana that that Kaju Kembo has, that feeling of family. And how was the training? What was the training like? Um. <laughs> It was always a love hate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I tell the story. So, you met my instructor, Rana Steller. Yeah, um, yeah. What you do not know is that the Rana Steller you talked to that day was not the Rana Steller that I grew up with. <laughs> 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 so, he, uh, <laughs> there's two things. There's a, actually there's a few things that kind of remind me of that that uh, that era. <clears throat> it was the soft Adidas. I'm not Adidas. Reeboks. When Reeboks first came out, Ron used to wear those while we were training, and there was plenty of days when we left. Mind you, we are 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. There's pl- there was plenty of days when we left with Reebok prints, like, <laughs> tattooed somewhere on our body. Like, that was just a, that was just a given. And he was, he was probably, I can't remember. Like, so he's 20 years older than me. So he was in his 30s or so. And... Um, we would hate it when every once in a while there would be some lady that walked in, some girl that walked into the class and we would look around and be like, that's not somebody's mom. We're in trouble. (laughs) So if, if a woman walked into class and it wasn't somebody's mom, we knew that they were probably a friend of his, and we were about to get the crap beat out of us just <laughs> just because he would be showing off, <laughs> and it it never fails. Like we would be like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> and there was one time, my um, we were sparring, and I'm a tall guy. I was tall for my age, and um. We were sparring, Ron and I, and I couldn't have been more than a yellow belt. And I landed a kick to the face on him. And every kid in that class was like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom was sitting there um, watching the class, right? And so... It was like one of those moments in like slow motion where you see the kick land, and I looked at, I was like, I don't believe I just did that. It was like, it was like when you like, almost like you you think of the movies when they pan into somebody's face and they're just like a frightened, horrified face, and <laughs> he was like, no, good kick, good kick, good kick, and because my mom was sitting there. The next class when my mom wasn't there, he beat the crap out of me. Like, <laughs> like just just totally just smashed me. So I always laugh now because he's so much of a of a more gentle soul. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm like, I, he'll say something or do something if I'm there. I'm like, who are you, and what did you do with my instructor? Because this is not the same person 
<laughs> like, you were absolutely not the same person. Like, not at all. Like, so, so I don't, I say all that to say, I don't know what was wrong with me for going back. <laughs> it was, it was, there was something there. I don't know. Uh, there, I guess this this ties into a question that I didn't put in here, but have you, because you've been training for a while, right? You've been training for a long time. Have you mm. noticed a difference in the way martial arts has been taught from when you started into now, like when you observe classes and when you see, not, not just not just the instructor, but in general, like in general? Um, yes and no. I, I, so the instructors that I've been around for the most part, with the exception of Ron, so I've been around a few instructors and yes, they kind of had to reel it in a little bit because of, you know, legalities and insurance and all this other stuff. But at the same time, I've dealt with instructors that, like, don't really care. Like, and, but at the same time, I look at other styles and I've seen other classes where the instructor for, like, safety and, I don't know, it's hard to explain. But it's, it's not, it, I felt like it was a watered down version of what it should be. And I feel like there was there. I've seen classes where they don't necessarily prepare anybody for for violence. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, and that I feel like it does their students a disservice because. So I trained under uh, Melchor Chavez when I I moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico to be a kickboxer and Muay Thai fighter. And he, of course, is in the Kaja Campbell Gaylord method also. And his brother <laughs> is, his brother is Andy Chavez. And Sifu Andy is just like, you know those type, type of people where you can see like the crazy in their eyes? <laughs> He's that type of person where like you know not to mess with this dude. And he's only about 5'5". Five, 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 no, nah, I wouldn't say that. He's probably about 5'7". Five, seven. And I'm 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, right? And I'm looking at this guy like, this dude is crazy. And he <laughs> and he would say, like, he would tell me, he was like, if you're going to do this, do it like you're going to do it on the street because this is this is not to play like this you're not i mean it was just he just kind of instilled that into me it's like just make sure you if you're going to hit this person make sure you hit them in here so you know what it what it's going to be like right and so i see a lot of classes um that i'll just go and take a look at and people are kind of just going through the motions about things and I know for a fact that they've never been in an actual fight. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like the, it does them a disservice to to do that and to be that way. And I even, um, a lot of times, even here in, in Austin, there's not a whole lot of Kaja Kimball. I'm in Austin, Texas now. And there's not a whole lot of Kaja Kimball. There's like three or four schools maybe coming from the Bay Area where there was Kaja Kimball everywhere. It's, it's a huge difference, right? And so I would go into a school and I wouldn't announce who I was or what my rank was or anything. And I would just go and take like the free class just to kind of see what was going on. And one school, um, a kid was getting ready for his black belt test. And me just watching this kid and going him going through all the, the written knowledge that they had, it made me... It, that's when I really, really, it really solidified in me that these people do not understand violence. And I had to tell this kid that. And I was like, because they asked me after a while, after training, I was like, okay, this is who I am and this is what I do and blah, blah. <clears throat> and afterwards, he was asking me questions. 
And like I said, I, I don't care. If you ask me something, I'm going to tell you what my thoughts are. And if you get offended by that, I'm sorry, but, you know, my thoughts are my thoughts. You don't have to subscribe to them and you don't have to believe them or anything like that. But I was like, I can tell that you've never been into a fight, in a fight before because you don't understand what you're doing. You don't have, to me, it doesn't seem like you have the, the, the passion for violence or understand what violence even looks like. So, yes, I see the difference in the way I was taught and the way people are kind of teaching now. Not that to say that everybody teaches that way nowadays, but I do see the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's a question I ask because I've been, I haven't been in it a whole, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a long time. I guess <clears throat> depending on how I look at this time estimate, uh, they're probably doing Kajikembo conservative estimate. I'll say, I'll say over, over, over 10 years. We'll just say that. We'll say over maybe 15 years. I started when I was 18-ish because I kind of came on and off. off. But I did notice back when I started to maybe a good, I don't know, I guess, I guess it was kind of around five years back five or six years back a lot of schools were transitioning from like from when i started it was like it was good it was a good program and i think it had to do with my instructor was running it at the rec set on his own at the dojo mm-hmm. like his school and he always told me the way i teach here at my school is different from the way i teach at the rec center because of insurance stuff You're right so like we we already had like a a distinguishing marker between the rec center programs and the way we would teach, the way he would teach at the school, because he didn't have anybody telling him how to do it. Or he doesn't have anybody looking over his shoulder, if you mean, if you know what I mean. So, like, when he, he kind of went over back into the rec centers, for a while there he had to close his school and be only at the rec centers, we had to talk about, like, a lot of the students that came from the dojo, he'd tell us, okay, just be careful, like, not be careful, but... Just remember that these rec- be aware. these re- be aware that these rec center people are different from the way we're doing it at the dojo, uh-huh. and um, and you know that's what that's what I, I was aware of and kind of always kept in mind because the the dojo was ran in a in my 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 neighborhood of Escondido where there's a lot of gang violence and then the rec center uh-huh. the rec center was in the in the nice neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, that, I, you, you, you laugh, but that makes a huge difference. That makes a huge difference. Like, just the mentality. So, San Leandro is like the the nicer areas, right? I'm from Oakland. I grew up in a good area of Oakland, so that doesn't really matter. But when I went to Albuquerque, and I was in the South Valley of Albuquerque, um, <clears throat> every kid there was ready to fight like like literally like ready to just scrap like till till they couldn't hold their hands up anymore but when i got back to california and i looked and i'm just like there's not like that's a mentality yeah you can't really teach that mentality um it's 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 something different and i used to tell uh ron i was like there's that mentality isn't in san leandro so like you can have somebody that is not to say that there's somebody that's not that's talented in fighting or you know martial arts and and sparring and whatnot but to be like chomping at the bit ready to fight and just be like just (laughs) i want to knock this kid's head off that is a whole different type of kid so i i totally understand what you're saying so, do you have any, like, I don't know, have you, did you have any first-hand experience with this? Because I know you said you observed some classes and you saw some stuff, but is there anything like that? Like, did you see, did you ever have an example where you were training with someone who was supposedly of a certain rank and you were kind of expecting them to have some skill that they apparently didn't? Well, it was more so, the long, so... Again, I um, I left California 
to be a um, kickboxer in, in New Mexico. And I stayed in New Mexico for a while. And then when I came back, like I said, I looked around and I, I, I really came back kind of with a chip on my shoulder a little bit because, <laughs> um, because the level of competition with somebody that wants to fight is a lot different from the level of competition with somebody that's here to kind of spar with that. And, and I'll never forget, uh, there was a guy that was, he was, he was kind of older, um, and he wanted to spar, and I was like, you don't want to do that, but okay. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> he, we're going at it, and he, um, he came in with something, like a, a soft jab, and I stepped to the side and just cracked him to the ribs, um, and it was just it was kind of like just bread and butter to what we were doing in Albuquerque and ended up just getting him right in the kidneys. The dude had to go to the hospital and his wife hated me for, like, I bet she still hates me to this day because she was traded also. And I was just like, what do you want me to do? Like this, I don't, I didn't feel like I tagged him that hard, but you know, it's, we're here to learn how to defend yourself. And if you are not doing that, then what are you here for? You know what I mean? So, yeah, in hindsight, I guess I could have taken it a little bit easier on them. But like I said, I had, <laughs> I really, I really felt like I had a chip on my shoulder because it was just, it was one of those things where I had put in a lot of work and did and went through a lot to get to that level with um with Chavez and I come back and and these people were kind of being a little bit lazier and a little bit less less dedicated and a little bit you know a little soft around the edges so it's like I uh, I'm just going you know I don't care so yeah <laughs> <laughs> No I mean I I I feel I feel the same way like I said I I came from a from a different school from when we moved into the rec center and uh even when we moved into the rec center like i said there was still that division between the the rec center students and the ones that came straight from the dojo and i always every single test i ever had from day one from when i was a white belt even from the first day i walked in through the door uh at the time i walked in and i challenged the the top student sifu mike at the time he was a brown belt and he was just so much quicker than me. Like, he was tagging me left oh. and right. And, you know, he was still being easy about it because I was a white belt. But he was, you know, I was still getting my bell rung here and there. But then after I joined, it was just every time, every time we sparred, he would TKO me. And at the time, I didn't know what a TKO was. Like, my idea of what a knockout was was like the the movies or like when you watch the UFC and you see a guy get cold knocked out like where the where they yeah. they pass out and their eyes roll to the back of their head so I thought and on the street that's what I thought a knockout was too like hey that person can't continue they're on the floor but I didn't realize that a knockout could also be when when your legs get wobbly and you start seeing double oh. <laughs> and like normally in a real fight the referee would see that give you a ten count. And be like, you're done. You can't. you had ten seconds yeah. to see singular again, and you didn't. But in class, it was just like, can you continue? And I'm like, I see three. I see three of Sifu Mike's. I'm like, I, I I can still stand. <laughs> and if he doesn't, yeah. if he doesn't tag me like that in the next ten seconds or twenty seconds, I could recover. And I would. Right. I would just push myself and, and continue every time. And if he, but as me, a student, I feel like. That's what you should be looking for, um, and I think that's that. I think that was the chip on my shoulder was that I didn't have anybody to challenge me like that, and it 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 kind of made me a little bit mad that that there, there was nobody to challenge me like that, and <clears throat> I was always the biggest person in the class, right? Um, but when I went to Albuquerque. 
that wasn't even a factor. You know what I mean? It wasn't even like my roommate at the time, his name was Jose, his name is Jose uh, Ramirez. And we, he was probably all of maybe 5'11", 160 pounds, and I was 220 pounds um, at the time. And we would go at it, like go at it, go at it. And <clears throat> there was a time, like it was such a challenge that I had to raise my skill level. Um, before I left Albuquerque, for Albuquerque, there was uh, uh, Jeff McAloloy. And he's this little Filipino dude, not little, but, you know, Filipino-sized dude. <laughs> and he was just super quick. And we would spar all the time. And I would have to raise my speed up to, to be able to, to spar with this kid. And he would have to figure out how to get in on me. So, you know, it was, those, it was that dynamic that helps you. It's that dynamic that helps you build. And if you're winning all the time, or if you're just beating up everybody all the time, then you're not getting anything out of that, really. You're just, you know, the person that you're is probably getting a whole ten times more out of that session than what you're getting out of it. Yeah. So even, it, even it, though they may not, you feel that way. <laughs> huh? Even though they may not understand what? that at the time. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I didn't understand it at the time until it started happening, and I was like, oh. I learn a lot more and I'm getting a lot more out of this. But it shows up. Like, you really have to be a student of the game to understand. There's like, there's a lot of, there are a lot of little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Little, um, uh, little things, I can't even think of the word I'm looking for. But little, little things that you learn along the way um, that make you level up. And if you don't learn them, like you can go throughout the belt system and not learn these things and be like just the black belt or whatever, or just be a practitioner. But if you learn nuances, that's what I was thinking. If you learn these nuances of like all this stuff is body mechanics or all this, you know, fight the, the person that's going to teach you something, you know, train like you're going to be, like you are going to be using this in the street. Those nuances are what determine the the you know the practitioner from the person that embodies it to me. Yeah. Yeah. And finding that finding that balance between knowing <clears throat> what to work on on who. I think that was my cool. my greatest challenge is trying to figure out because I had someone pushing me like that all the time. So then when I would fight people that were weaker than me, it was trying to find a way to not, I mean, cause I, I didn't come in thinking I was going to teach. I didn't really realize I was going to be teaching anything until I became a brown belt and it became very apparent. Like, yeah, see, my, my instructor would have me lead class every so once in a while, but I wasn't really looking at thinking of teaching really till I got closer to brown. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm going to be, teach it looks like i'm gonna be teaching so like what <laughs> what what do i want to teach like what what what's what's what am i walking yeah. away with this now like i know i'm at a level where most of these people aren't close and i have to figure out not only how can i teach them something but also what can i how can i teach and get something out of it and i think that was that's a balance that was a challenge at the time I was trying to figure yeah. out like, teaching yeah. is so interesting because I didn't understand this until I started teaching, and I've heard this before, um, is that you, as the teacher, get probably get more out of it than the student gets. And that's another one of those lessons you kind of have to fall into, is where you, you, there's a point in time where there are, you're teaching and there's so many different levels of skill sets levels of skill in that classroom and you have to break this down and teach to each student at their level, right? And it makes you, the teacher, become much more proficient at understanding what the technique is or understanding what the concept is versus, you know, just learning it. And and that I think is much more important 
than than being able to do the technique. One of my instructors that Ron brought into the school, uh, Sensei Chris, he <clears throat> like imparted on the students that he taught. He was like, I can teach you technique or I can teach you concepts. And technique is do this, 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 and this. But the concept is this. And the the concept will always work, whereas the technique doesn't necessarily work because that person might be bigger, shorter, smaller, fatter, or whatever, you know what I mean? And so once you understand the concept, you can devise 10, 15, 20 techniques off of that one concept. So understanding that concept, I think, makes you a better teacher and helps you to teach a lot more. That's really interesting because, like, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast, this Kaja Kembo series in particular, is looking for uh, not just narratives from what many other instructors say, but also linking these narratives to narratives that I hear when I'm cross-training. It's like, right, I now I've been cross-training with gi jiu-jitsu guys. Cause I've done jiu-jitsu for a long time, but not gi jiu-jitsu. Oh. With these uh, Japanese guys over here at Gracie Barra. And they had a seminar where they had this uh, this professor come out from London. He's like, he's uh, some Abu Dhabi champion, whatnot. But he mentioned the same exact thing. He didn't say concept, but he said principles. Like the idea of, an, mm-hmm. I can show you an arm bar. I can show you, I can show you how to escape from a full mount. But you will only be able to do this one move, this one technique to be able to escape it. But if you understand the principles of where your body should be, where your hands should be, how you should be controlling the gi in this particular position, and how not at the position, but the idea that we're we're trying to put pressure on this side of the body. If you can understand the right. principle, then at that point the the you can use multiple escapes. Like he showed me, like he showed us, like here's this one escape, but this escape is based on this principle, and here's like these eight escapes that are based on this one principle. If mm-hmm. you understand it. So yeah, that's again like yeah, I'm I'm big on this because of my academic background. I'm always looking at the idea that if something is true in one arena and it's true in another arena, then now we're starting to go away from a hypothesis and more towards a theory, which is pretty cool. All right. What I find interesting is, so, so like I said, my, my transition from Kaji Kimbo to like Muay Thai, there was always a, um, an instructor that wanted to come and show me something or other. Right. And, there's a lot of nonsense out there, <laughs> a whole lot of nonsense out there, right? But I started to disseminate the difference because the ones that knew what they were talking about were all saying the same things, but they might be saying, you know, something a tad bit like, you know, put your foot here instead of here. But this is this is what you this is what you're trying to achieve, right? And so that way it gave me kind of this rubric to understand who who the who I should be listening to. And then I would take that all back to my to Chavez and be like, hey, what do you think of this and this and this and this? And he would be like, Yeah, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. But you know, for me, it's basically it's because of the size that that my size that makes it like makes me have to go and ask and and find out like what what the concepts were that work for me because you know if i if somebody if somebody's trying to tell me how to get inside or how to stay on the outside and they don't have they don't have the same challenges that i have then you know is it is it viable for me to do this does it make sense for me to you know try this and you know, of course i try but there's you know, there I have to find my own path, so to speak. And I think that's kind of touching on the idea of that. You know, we always say that mind, body, spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and this martial arts. There's like the martial element, and then there's really is that art element, that art, that philosophy. Like understanding the philosophy behind stuff, I think, is really important to be able to find that for yourself. And I don't know, maybe people yeah. don't do martial arts. Just, I've totally lost them on this one. But <laughs> I mean, there are some things that you have to kind of experience to understand. So, hey, get in the gym. 
<laughs> if you don't understand it, go go train until you do. No. <laughs> so what can you do? Kind of moving on to the one of the other questions uh, I sent you over was uh, how has uh, how has Kajukempo how has Kajukempo or your martial arts training helped you outside of the dojo outside of of martial arts? <clears throat> um. <laughs> I would say just confidence-wise, uh, like I said, when I say, when I, <laughs> this sounds bad and it sounds like just pompous or whatever, but <laughs> hey, whatever. When I, when I told you I don't really care what people, uh, if people get offended or not, um, the rest of that is because they're not. I gotta beat me up. Like they can't beat me up. So <laughs> that's the rest of that that saying. So um, <laughs> that part. <laughs> um, but so, you know, there there is a confidence level and there is a respect level um, that I think exudes from me because of the things that I've been through in martial arts and the things that, you know, I can do in martial arts. And <clears throat> people, it's funny because people will look at me and talk to me and not know that, you know, I was an a amateur kickboxing champion or that I have a six-degree black belt because... I don't have to throw anything and like, I don't have to posture and, you know, pretend like I'm, I am the, the meanest person in the room or just the, you know what I'm saying? Just the, the baddest person in the room, even though I don't consider myself to be ever. Um, but you know, they'll, they'll think, uh, if I tell them, I was like, yeah, I used to kickbox and all this other stuff. And they're like, no, you really, I could not imagine that at all. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah, well, it's true. <laughs> so you know that that whole way you carry yourself come it it feels a little different because of the respect level that you have for yourself and that you have for the arts and that you have for you know the especially the idea that you never know who knows what and so it just it. There's just a respect level there, and I think that that is the biggest thing that I take outside, like outside the dojo when I when I leave the floor. You know, um, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing. And um, what do you uh, what do you think? And it's gonna be like switching gears here real quick. Mm -hmm. What do you think about MMA blowing up and making martial arts training popular? I think it's a double-edged sword in that um, it's like Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility and that whole respect thing needs to be there um and that's kind of cliche to say and I, I i feel bad for kind of being that cliche but there's a difference between a fighter and a martial artist and if you don't have the respect I'm not saying that people don't have the respect but at some level mma i feel like has lost the art part of it and is trying to turn out these fighters. Cause there, so there's a difference between a boxing gym and a martial arts dojo, right? And <clears throat> I think that MMA has turned the dojo into a boxing gym a little bit. Um, not to say that they are, they are great fighters and, and amazing athletes, but, you know, I, I feel like there needs to be some tradition in there. And not just, I'm going to knock your head off and wear like the latest 
gear, which they don't really. I mean, that that era has kind of passed a little bit, but yeah, now now Reebok is kind of taking over that whole <laughs> yeah whole industry. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a blessing and a curse. I don't know, yeah. but uh, but you know what I mean. It's like that whole. At one point, it was like. I have an affliction shirt and a, or a tap out shirt. Tap out. And, and the I, tap out shirt, I think, yeah. was, the, was the real. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chad, like, I see if there's a tap out shirt and I'd be like, there's like, there's like a 20% chance that this person actually knows how to fight and there's a good 80% chance that this person just likes to talk a lot of shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> and watch, watch a lot of UFC. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I like the fact that it opened up the it opened up the world of martial arts to people, but again, how much you know how much of that is like the traditional sense of the word, and how much of it is I'm just going to try and knock somebody's block off, yeah, so yeah. You know, I mean go ahead. no I think. This goes back to that balance we were talking about earlier, right? And that's a great answer to the question because I think maybe some folks listening to us talk right now, you know, you go back, if we rewind back earlier in our conversation about how we always felt that there needed to be this urgency for real fighting in the training, right? Real fighting, having that hard style and looking at people who didn't have that as they need to have that. But still, at the same time, knowing when to tone it back and be balanced, not just be all about there to hurt someone else. Well, MMA isn't real. Like it, it's still there's still rules there, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I don't even really want to bring this up, but you can't. <laughs> so it's up the to whole, you. it's up to you. No, no, no. The whole <laughs> it was just to my point. I think it's funny about it, but the whole fight quest thing, right? With the uh, with Jimmy Smith and <clears throat> him being an MMA fighter in a Kajakimbo school, right? And so I called the elbow heard around the world. So I was the one that hit Jimmy Smith with the elbow, right? And it was because he shot in on me, and this dude again. I'm 6'8", probably, I was probably 275 at the time, and this dude is shooting in and trying to take my legs, right? Because he's a jiu-jitsu guy, and he has rules, and those rules are ingrained in him that I'm not going to hit him while he's shooting in on me. But those aren't our rules, right? And so those rules got him into a situation where he could have been killed had I, you know, really tried to hurt him. And so MMA is still a sport and still rules-driven. Sigan, or uh, I guess he's uh, Grandmaster Bautista, Joseph Bautista, he used to do the, um, the self-defense um, contest in the tournaments. And one of his routines was he bit this guy's groin. <laughs> he bit the guy in the groin. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so show me where that's in the rules. You know what I'm saying? And so it's <laughs> like, uh, we don't have a rule for that, so I don't know how we're going to score that. <laughs> so I'm just saying like that that mentality is very far removed from the octagon, you know what I'm saying? And so you shooting in on me, yeah, I'm going to hit you on the back, in the back. I, your spine is right there. I'm going to stop you from trying to hurt me. Like, that's the rule. Yeah, you know? I, I think, so, I, I believe, I, for those people who are watching or listening and don't know about it, uh, check out Fight Quest, Kajakembo, Google it. You'll see a bunch of stuff, YouTube and whatnot. And um, you'll be able to see this fight so you can kind of have an idea of what's going on. I can't put it on here because I'll get my show pulled off YouTube for that. But yeah, um, I'm, I believe it was a drop elbow, right? Like from yeah. – it wasn't like the – and I'm, I have the cameras here so they can see what I'm doing. It wasn't like the Muay Thai elbow where you come in and you're hitting 
with the outside. You did like a drop elbow from the top to bottom. Mutai, right. Mutai has it. Mutai actually does have this move. It's legal. You can jump up, bring your top of your elbow, and bring it down your opponent's head or wherever you want. Mm -hmm. But in the UFC, they've made that drop elbow illegal. Right. And it's something we practice consistently. It's in a lot of our uh, punch arts. Yeah. And so, you know, it's... <clears throat> It's, it's not even as extreme as biting. Out? I mean, I don't, like it's not even as extreme as biting someone in the growing. It's just, it's just a yeah. drop elbow. <laughs> <laughs> that was for dramatic effect. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that couldn't taste good. That couldn't taste good. <laughs> I gotta watch, gonna have to get some really strong, potent mouthwash for that one later. <laughs> yeah, was, we were all shocked at that. No, no, do not mess with that guy. <laughs> So, um, kind of coming towards the end of our uh, of our podcast of our interview here. Um, what are your plans uh, for the future? What are you doing right now? I know you mentioned like I think you mentioned earlier to me that you know you're still you're doing your thing, but what are your plans? I guess I know you're not running a school right now, right? You're just training. No, and um. What are your plans so, for the future? What do you want to do? Not just this. And this question isn't limited to martial arts. Like this is more about like what are you doing in your personal life, business wise, or you know that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. What do you? What well, do you want to I, um, I'm a photographer here in Austin. I have a photography company, Eric Coleman Photography, um, and I run that. But as far as for martial arts, um, <clears throat> I am on the board of the KAA, Kaiser Chemical Association of America. Um, so I don't have a school and I was having a conversation with uh, Ron Steller and uh, uh, Chavez about, they basically kind of guilted me into this a little bit, but <laughs> they were kind of saying that, you know, the people that were my seniors are aging out, right? And they're, they are, it's time for the newer people or the younger, the next generation kind of step up and take take the reins and to push this thing, this KAA association forward. And so I kind of took that to heart and joined the board. And right now we are in a rebranding and a rebuilding period um, and trying to, you know, get the Gaylord method um more solidified and the association more solidified and so i've been putting a lot of effort into that because there's a lot of ways that you can give back right it's not just about teaching and it's not just about it's not just about teaching or bringing the next generation up it's it in order to survive you have to have an infrastructure and you have to you know invite people into this infrastructure and grow this association so that's where i'm at right now is how do we continue to keep this thing alive and can you keep the the uh memory of uh gaylord alive and and you know help the association grow and uh i mean i don't have this question written down but i guess this kind of brings us a little bit with the last question with the mma how mma is like a double-edged sword and a lot of a lot of this comes up with the differences between. I mean, Kaji Kembo is MMA and it isn't, and it's really hard for me to <laughs> describe this to people all the time. Like in the states, in Japan, it's even more difficult because they actually do have like really traditional arts, like karate, shodokan, kyukushin. Uh, kyukushin yeah. is actually really popular in my area, and um, and then there's the kickboxing and stuff. But like, it's really hard to explain to people. In Japan, I guess I'll, I'll, from my experience in Japan, hey, we are a traditional, non-traditional, and I have to use the word, the Japanese word called sogokakutogi, which literally translates to mixed martial art. And then most of them don't know what MMA is, so then they look up sogokakutogi, which brings up a bunch of cage fighting, and I'm like, eh, that's part of it. Yeah. There's a sport element, and that's the sport element, but still what we're doing here is different from that. And you'll see if you step into my class and I show you punch number one, you're going to see some MMA elements in the first three moves. No, actually, no. Maybe the first move. But once we get to the second move and I'm hitting you in the growing, like now we're, <laughs> we're moving away. Yeah. We are now moving away from that sport element. 
So like you're talking about you're a part of this association and part of that association is trying to keep a legacy going, right? And that's that's something that is kind of I guess what would you say and this is gonna, that's why I'm leading to this question and you can you can take it how you, how you want it. Um what would you say is necessary in order for a martial art to not just be a gym, not just be an MMA gym, not just be one uh -huh. one like just all about fighting. How what what are some things that you feel help preserve an actual legacy, like actually preserve a system, if you will, or a, an approach that that can be turned into a curriculum to help others uh -huh. to make sure that you were all kind of doing, if not the same thing, similar enough that these if these two people meet. They can tell they're from the same school. What are some things, some elements that you feel are important for that? Uh, off the top of my head, the eight eight middle lanes for Kajikimbo, right? Um, the fact that you said earlier, uh, mind, body, and spirit. You know, those types of things. It's the mental aspect of it. The, the physical aspect of it is kind of the same. It's all body mechanics, right? But the mental aspect of it then becomes then it's something different. You know, it becomes a different animal. Um, I don't know if you do it in your school, but starting off with the Kajikimbo prayer and, you know, um, those type of things, those traditions are there for a reason. And it's not to, to, um, not to create this, you know, this monster, so to speak. It's to, to cultivate um my instructor used to I, I don't know if this was actually a genghis khan or a quote but there he would say something to the effect of make savage the body but civilize the mind right and i think that is the the key into not having that gym or into having this dojo um <clears throat> You you know we are we are here to tear down the body and build it up, but we are also here to tear down the mind and build it up. And and with that becomes comes the respect factor. With that becomes the patience, perseverance, and all these mental aims that we have in Kajikimbo. Um, and if you drill that into the person, we are not here to to we are here to protect ourselves and our loved ones from dangers that are forced upon us. You know. If you drill those those aspects of this into it, then you create a martial artist and not just a fighter. That makes sense. No, yeah, that's. I think that's. Yeah, that's a really good approach to it. That is a really good approach to it. That's what I what I would hope. Even if you're not doing Kajikembo, I'd hope that's actually, that's what people are trying to cultivate. Right. Well, Eric. Um, that pretty much covers everything that I sent over to you and, and more and then some. <laughs> and I really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your life to, to share your, your thoughts and your philosophies with my listeners. Um, I guess, is there anything you want to share? Any type of promotional stuff that you have that you want to let anybody know on the internet? Uh, no, not really. I think. All right. Good. Cool, cool. All right. Well, for my listeners, uh, one more time, thanks again, Eric, for being on the show. And for my listeners, uh, stay tuned for the wrap up. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. No problem. So that's a wrap. Thanks again for listening to Social Jello with Angelo. I don't have many events coming up right now that I know of. But again, if you stuck around this long, uh, if you like what you heard, this is part of the Kaja Kembo series. And I cover a lot of topics, actually. Not just martial arts, but also surfing, as I mentioned in the intro, and some social science stuff. But uh, if you if you are interested just in the Kaja Kembo series, that's totally cool. I always label them Kaju Kembo series, and that's where I interview any Kaja Kembo practitioners. Uh, I do have a lot of great interviews in the woodworks right now. Uh, hopefully some big names. I don't want to drop any big names now but I will let you know that I am working on some bigger interviews 
If you're a Kaju Kenbo practitioner, or even if you're not, maybe you're just a martial artist or uh, you're in some sort of field that you're interested, that you've been doing for a long time and you want to share your story, feel free to contact me uh, at thesocialjello at gmail.com. Alright, thanks for listening. Catch y'all later. Fucking punk